to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. This time around, I've got a, the pleasure of having uh, a friend of mine um, who uh, our paths probably crossed a lot, Central Florida, my past yeah. place of employment, my last university, and we uh, just got to know each other kind of through time, through academic societies and spending time. And so I'm I'm glad to have with me today Dr. Mario Hood. Mario, welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thanks glad for having you me, man. Do this with me. Yeah. Um, Mario is an associate pastor at Church on the Living Edge, and I think it's technically Orlando, right? When I say Orlando, I know it's like Kissimmee, Orlando. <laughs> you know, there's so many places I don't yeah. even know. Anymore. It's it's you know it's 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 the word to say because who knows where Longwood? That's technically where. Oh, it see, is, right? exactly right. It's I've, technically in Longwood, Florida. How many years did I live in Central Florida, and I didn't? I've never heard of Longwood. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, and so. Uh, yeah, so Orlando's fine. I tell everybody that I work in Orlando because, you know, that's what everybody wants to hear anyway. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah, associate um, pastor there. Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, Mario, just introducing yourself, kind of what do you do, where where have you been, and, and we'll kind of introduce the topic here in a minute, but just let our listeners know a little bit more about you. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me, man. It's, it's good to see you, uh, even though it's online, I feel like. Uh, we live in a world today, but we probably don't even have to uh, quantify or qualify that anymore. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, so been at Church on the Living Edge, which I know is a very short name for church. <laughs> um, but I've been there for 12 years now, started as the youth and young adult pastor, kind of moved into the next gen pastor role, just overseeing 30 and under. And maybe last year, the year before, can't remember now with with everything that's going on in the world, but moved in, into more of an associate pastor role, which, you know, in the church world is, is pretty much a catch all term. Mm -hmm. But um, so if pastors, you know, not preaching on Sundays, I'm usually doing that Tuesday nights, same thing, still overseeing or, or helping with the, the next gen ministry, then I oversee our immediate ministry as well. So uh, a lot of stuff going on there at the church, but love it. Uh, 12 years strong and uh, don't see, you know, uh, any change in that position uh, for any future. Love my church there in Longwood, Florida, aka Orlando. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much my full-time day-to-day uh, job. And then um, also do some adjunct professoring at uh, your previous school um, down in mm -hmm. Lakeland, Florida. But yeah, other than those, those two things, you know, just uh, stay busy with the kids that are 12 and 15, which feels like 21 and 31. But uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's me in, a, in kind of a nutshell there. No, nah, great. Hey, Mario, for our listeners, um, why don't you let them know a little bit about your, I say recently completed, but I think it's been like two years now. Yeah. Um, your, your doctorate, um, your doctorate in ministry and kind of the topic there, because that's going to lead us into what our topic is today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that, that, uh, you said recently, but it's been two years because I feel like it's just yesterday as well. Uh, and then, um, one of the things that I'm doing, one of my goals, I should say for, for 2023, 
uh, is to actually begin to put the dissertation in more of a popular voice. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I'm going back and, and looking through it, I'm like, wow, this was finished in December of 2020. Like Mario, what have you been doing with your life? But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, a lot, lot has happened. And I'm sure as you're finishing up, you've done your, um, your, all of your writing uh, that you will probably feel the same way. I just, I didn't want to write anything for like a year oh. and that year has turned into two years. So I submitted in September and have not written a thing and I don't. <laughs> yeah. <care>. It's <laughs> it's like your brain shuts off. But so my topic, I did a, um, I did the global uh, leadership and perspectives track at Portland Seminary. And I ended up doing my dissertation topic on engaging Gen Z uh, toward a paracletic leadership framework. And mm -hmm. uh, we can dive into that if you want to, but uh, high, high level of view uh, is just a spirit led leadership model uh, that's both uh, theologically sound uh, based ontologically and then has a practical aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is uh, kind of, we're going to do like a split role or a split topic today Yeah, that kind of engage both, um, both of your, or your, your kind of dissertation and kind of a, again, a split way. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you about it, because there's so many, I guess, theologians or scholars who can write about things like leadership or write about things like, um, what the other topic we're going to talk about Gen Z and theology. Yeah. And it's it's typically from a purely quantitative or qualitative research and not so much a practical hands-on engagement along with the qualitative and quantitative research, right? Right. And so I think there's a lot of benefit to talking about both these subjects with someone who has both taken the educational route as mm -hmm. well as is in the practice every day in these areas, right? It's one thing, again, for me to talk about theology that I can talk about in this lofty, whatever way, uh, it's different when we're saying, okay, what, did, what did Gen Z people think about theology? How do they get their theology? What, what kind of theology are they starting to engage with? Right. Um, you know, that, that's a totally different question, right? So I think we're going to start actually with, um, when you and I were discussing, okay, what do we want to, all we knew is we wanted to do a podcast together. Right. It was like, <laughs> okay, what do we want to do? And, you know, we talked about this idea of leadership or we just kind of brought up the word, right? It's a trendy yeah. word, like everyone and their brother, you know, leadership. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a Christian university, there's leadership, like everything has gone from pastoral ministry to leadership, right? right? Like we're going to talk about leadership. It, it can be non-Christian universities that have degrees in business leadership and Absolutely. whatever, you know, higher ed, leadership or whatever, whatever it is, it's such a trendy word. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I mentioned this to you, I said, my practical experience with people who have higher education in quote unquote leadership yeah. and, and writing the books on leadership and so on and so forth are often the worst leaders, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, um, no offense it, taken, by the way. So. Yeah, no, and 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 I literally even in our text, I was like, yeah. I'm not meaning you, right? Like, no, no, not I. <laughs> like, I said my generalization, my anecdote, yeah, right? You like, did, you did. But I do think that there's a lot of people that have have expressed something similar to that, right? Like, yeah, having a degree, quote unquote, in leadership does not make you a good leader. Having Absolutely. good ideas of leadership doesn't make you a good leader, and so. 
I think that's where we're going to start really is just when, when we think about this word leadership, especially as we're placing it into our Christian context, mm-hmm. what are we really saying when right. we're talking about someone being a leader and how have we failed at really capturing quote unquote leadership um, versus here ideas on how to be leader, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, uh, and I was uh, definitely uh, pushing on your uh, bones there a little bit, as they would say, growing up in South Carolina, but um, I would agree. I, I think uh, a lot of times when, particularly when it comes to leadership, so I, you know, one of the things that, you know, as I was doing research, I came across, and I don't know if I coined this word or uh, found it somewhere I think I coined it, but a uh, that I, I call it a success failure leadership paradigm. Hmm. And what I meant by that is just what you said, like there, forget the exact number, but hundreds of millions of dollars are spent every year in leadership programs, leadership right. books, leadership conferences. But then when you get down to the ground level, there's so many leadership failures, both in business world, both in the church world, both in for-profit, nonprofit. And one of the things you see a lot in church is that one of the reason I call it success is because we, you know, if you just look at the sheer numbers, as far as, you know, dollars wise, like the leadership industry is a huge success, right? The failure part comes in, you know, uh, one area in, in, in our world that I, that I run in is that there is, there's not a lot of successful transitions when it comes to leadership or implementation of those leadership ideas that you talked about. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the failure part comes in. Uh, and, and there's been, you know, many of books and great dissertations written on, you know, the transition process in church leadership, but um, I mean, if I, if you had, if you said, Hey, I'll give you a thousand bucks. If you can think of, you know, five successful church transition, you know, leadership, and maybe it's just the streams I run in, but I probably couldn't answer that. <laughs> right. right. Um, and so, but I think specifically when it comes down to, uh, leadership from a Christian perspective, a lot of times we start from the wrong place. And so, because a lot of church leadership things come from the business world. And it's not that business leadership or secular leadership, however you want to define it, is bad. It's that the church shouldn't start there. Right. Uh, I think there are good things that we can glean and, and learn from culture and, and from business leadership principles. But my whole premise of my dissertation and hopefully as a leader uh, in the church world is that I start from a biblical and theological place and then um, could incorporate those things that may, you know, aid the church or aid me as a leader. And so uh, I think it's Russell um, uh, Husing. He says, um, one of the things that we have to do is that ask the right questions. And he said, in developing a theology of leadership, many leaders uh, start from the question of what do we do to a, to attain a certain outcome. Right. But Christian yeah. leaders, we should start with, you know, why do we do what we do to conform to the image of Christ? Hmm. And I think that's where the theology part comes into play because 
if we're not forming leaders and transforming people into the image of Christ, then the outcome is always going to be something different than what it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I, ooh, that's really good. I think particularly because actually talking about it that way, right? I mean, maybe I'll just kind of say, here's what comes to mind, and then you tell me I'm right or wrong or, you know, <laughs> probably wrong, right? Okay. But but in that kind of framework, right, when we, when we look at quote-unquote secular, and I don't typically like that word because it convolutes what we're really meaning, right? But Absolutely. like totally the business agree. world or whatever that's, that's non-church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes when we, th- when we think about success, there's kind of two, t- two key indicators, right? What's your net revenue and how many people are actually using it, right? Or buying right. it or engaging right. with whatever your service or good or whatever it is. And I think so many times we, we've translate that because of what you just said. What's the outcome? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the outcome when we talk about church leadership uh, is boiled down to, quote unquote, butts and bucks, right? Like yep. how many butts are in the seat and how many well, dollars like are coming in and, and tithing. And we know we're successful if, you know, week over week, there's more people in the seats and mm-hmm. year over year, there's more money coming in. Right. right? And it's usually with really... Uh, I, I think, you know, a desired good outcome, mm-hmm. but a convoluted outcome, yeah. which is which is the, well, if we have more people and more dollars, then we're being more effective in reaching people for Christ, and we can do now more with, the, with that because we've got more money to do it, right? right? Like, and so yeah. there's always some kind of morally auspicious high ground with mm-hmm. the desire for more people and dollars. So that's where I think when when we think about the the business side of yeah. kind of that question, right? What is the outcome? Often that's the one that comes through. Absolutely. What do you mean by this other question? And you can tell me if I'm wrong about that one too, but like what do you mean by this other <laughs> question? And what is that like if if we're talking about a pastor or someone who's listening to the podcast and going, "What do I really think about in terms of quote unquote the success of my church?" Mm-hmm. When we ask that question, you know, how do we gate? How, how do we how do we define it? How do we yeah provide some kind of metric to it? Right? Is that even right to do? You know anything Absolutely. of that nature? Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're dead on. Um, and like you said, I think you know language is important because language helps us to live out what we're seeing, what we're believing. Um, without language, you know, we wouldn't be the intelligent beings that we are, and so. Um, you know, it's, it's easy sometimes, like you said, to say secular versus sacred, but those, those words can get convoluted. And I love what, so this is, this is a long name, but the right Reverend, uh, Martin Percy, uh, which he's based out of Christchurch and, and Oxford. Um, and he talks about, uh, filtering everything through a prism. So when he talks about practical theology, you know, he encourages, you know, glean from social sciences, glean from, you know, you know, the business world, glean from wherever you can, but understanding um, that, you know, the filter that all those things go through should be God. And then that becomes like a refraction, a prism to which, you know, if you're holding a diamond up and you put light through it, it's going to reflect, reflect, reflect um, different lights out of it, but without that diamond, without that prism, then you don't get, you know, that right. outcome. 
And so that's what I mean is that, you know, when you change your question, you change the possible outcomes that you're going to get. And so, um, again, one of the things that, you know, that I am big on is that there, there was this shift in the early 20th century, maybe late 19th century, where um, the church became more focused on leaders who fill the role of, of pastors rather than pastors who are leaders as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, when that shift happened, and, and again, not that any of these things are not important, right? So as a pastor, you have to communicate, you know, whether that's Sunday morning, whether that's midweek service, whether that's one-on-one -on -one relationships. But one of the interesting things that I found is that in the state of the church, I think Barna did the research uh, 2011, 2012, maybe, maybe a little bit later, um, you know, they basically asked pastors, hey, what, what are your favorite things to do? You know, out of a list of, you know, seven things. Yeah. And the top responses were anything that were platform ministry driven, hmm. anything that right. was speaking or communication, but only one way. The, right. the, the bottom of the totem pole, for lack of better words, was one-on-one -on -one relationships, visiting people in hospitals, or even, you know, leadership development, because that became more of a relational driven thing. And what that, well, I'll say one of the things that spoke to me is that, you know, it's the role of a pastor became more of a communicator versus more of one who walks with people in a relational aspect um, in order to see them transform maybe in a more slow, slower way. Yeah. Um, and not as, you know, dynamic out front type of way. Right. And so... You know, when we begin to ask ourselves the question as pastors, as leaders, as Christian leaders in general, you know, what do we do to conform to Jesus? We You start to get a different set of possible outcomes with that versus, hey, what do we want to achieve, you know, through this sermon series or what yeah. do we want to achieve year over year? And I think what you're saying, I think people you know, butts and seats is good. I think budget is important. You know, I, you know, take up the, the tithe and offering every single Sunday in our church, every single Tuesday night is our, is our, you know, midweek service. And so that is important, but I think that is become the important things we focus on rather than making sure that conforming to the Imago day is still right. you know, the, you know, uh, most important thing um, that we should be focusing on without sacrificing those other things. I feel like, you know, the, the verses that, you know, Jesus are coming up to me right now says you Pharisees, you, you know, did all this, but you should have thought about the weightier things of the law. And I feel like we could possibly throw that into this whole leadership paradigm in the Christian world. It's like, yeah, those things are important, but these things are as important, if not more important with those things. Yeah. I, I like this uh, idea here, you know, talking about like the crisis, whether it's the mm. crisis salvation, the, I mean, Pentecostals, we love crisis, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Um, we love the, the, the high moments, these mm -hmm. kind of moments of, of 
theophanic epiphany, right? Like we're yeah. we're all of a sudden just something massive. Right? I mean, the, the whole kind of expression in some ways of uh, being baptized by the Spirit is such a crisis moment, at least as yeah. often defined theologically. But there's something important, I think, to what you're noting there about how pastors, we often can, and I say we, it's been a long time since I've been a pastor in a church, but still ordained and the like. But Absolutely. Um, we, we, liked, we tend to like the crisis moments because they're clear, concise moments, right? Like it's that I can put, I can put my finger on exactly when or how many or that moment you know, so much so that, you know, I remember, I remember, and and personally, I just hated this. I cringed every time. But whenever a pastor would say, now that you've been saved, we're going to give you a Bible and we want you to write the date of your new birthday in the Bible as if like this was like a, a one-time right. event, crisis moment, and now you can reflect on this moment and and everything has changed versus this kind of slow work of God in our lives. Yeah. Right. That that is sometimes arduous and sometimes tedious and sometimes has real highs and sometimes has real lows. Mm -hmm. And and we don't recognize that there's actually something more more beautiful and beneficial health wise, just kind mm -hmm. of spiritual health wise, with recognizing the long arduous work of God in our lives versus Absolutely. the crisis moment. One of the a pastor said this once, and it's just stuck with me. And I've probably said this before. But I think it was one of the most beautiful expressions of that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and that the pastor was reflecting on a moment where it was after Easter and some him and some pastor friends got together and, you know, Mario, what's the first question that a pastor asked another pastor after Easter? How many people, you know, gave their life to Jesus? Right. Yeah. Like we, we, it's like, it's like the, you know, the number one thing that pastors right. want to know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so people were going around and, oh, we had this many, no, we had this many. And they got to this pastor and, and he just reflects and he goes, I don't know. Ask me in yeah. six months, mm. which to me is one of the most profound ways of thinking about kind of that, what almost reflecting on what you're saying on the why of leadership, yeah. what, what are we really doing as leaders? Because he was kind of recognizing in a moment, whatever work happened on Easter, mm this work isn't done and I really don't know the outcomes of what that was until I can see the fruit of that bearing out in people's lives six months later. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, it, it reminds me uh, of two things. Number one is that uh, the McDonaldization of the church, uh, yeah. which is, you know, great book, something that I, I talk about because it's, I think now we're really seeing the hyper effects of that style of ministry where it's efficiency, calculability, predictability, and control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are, those are those four pillars. And in, in what you're talking about is that what can we control? What is the outcome we can produce and sometimes right. this may be controversial, sometimes even without the spirit work. Oh, 100%, right? right? You know? I think that happens all, all the time. Right. I know and that sounds really bad, but I yeah. do. Yeah. You know, I, I think if we're honest and, 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 and as a leader and pastor, you know, of churches, we're honest, like there are things we can do without 
the help of the spirit that we know can produce certain outcomes. It's just human nature. Um, but so the other thing, uh, which, you know, me and another uh, pastor friend of mine was talking because he's in, he's kind of in transition season. So he's just asking himself a bunch of these questions, you know, you know, uh, yeah. as he's thinking about either planting a church or joining another church staff, like, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, it's just a reflection time. And we were just talking yeah. about health, you know, how do you know a church is healthy? How do you know something is healthy? And I'll give credit to my lead mentor, Dr. Jason Clark. Uh, uh, my pastor always jokes, he says, you know, if I find something good, I'll, I'll give credit the first time to the person. But then after that, you know, <laughs> it, it, it becomes, you know, a revelation that I got. But uh, I had him on a uh, on a podcast that, that I was doing last year, which maybe I'll bring back next year. But he talked about this idea of the spirituality of measuring. And mm. without getting you know, into the whole thing, he basically said, you know, measuring is good. We believe that God requires us to measure. But when we think about healthy things, we always think that healthy things continue to grow. But if that was the case, at some point, it would just burst, right? right? But when you look in, you know, the world, when you look at nature, like everything goes through cycles. Yeah. And normally there is some type of death or renewal cycle that everything goes through. But for some reason in the church world, everything that's healthy always grows. But that's mm. that would be either outside of every system that other system that God has created, or we have ignored when it's time to put things to death or understanding that you could be the healthiest person, but for some reason, something happens where you get sick right. or, you know, um, you know, you, you pass away, you know, we've heard stories, uh, unfortunate stories of people that were healthy, that worked out, that were all this and, you know, out of the blue, they passed away. And so as we were talking about this, me, me and my other friend, he just said, wow, I've never really thought about that. Like, and he was able to apply that to the season that he's in. Like, man, I've been blowing and going. All the other signs were great, but I got to this, you know, burnout stage or end of the road stage. And, you know, I've never seen, you know, beauty in death. And, you know, uh, my pastor actually, he always says, you know, we need to slow down to the speed of life. Like, I love that phrasing. Um, and um, a couple of weeks ago, he was, you know, preaching and he said, you know, at this time of the year, um, if you're not from the South, then maybe you you, you won't get this. But um, I grew up in South Carolina. And so every year in the fall in the Appalachian Mountains, you know, the leaves started changing colors and people from all over the South yeah. or, you know, North uh, or, or Midwest or, or West probably would, would come to the area just to see the leaves changing colors and, and how beautiful it is. And, and it really is. And living in Florida, I, I kind of miss that. Um, but, we, but what he said was, we never think about that everybody's coming to see the death that's happening in right. these leaves. Yeah. And it's the death that's so beautiful. And I'm like, wow, that's so true. And so kind of just tying that into this idea of the spirituality of measuring. It's like, yes, we need to measure, but the devil wants us to measure. If you want to put those terms on it, the enemy doesn't care if we measure, if we're not measuring all the right things as well. And right. sometimes 
that measuring includes putting something to, to, to sleep, to death, to an end so that something else can grow back in its place. Because I do believe in resurrection, whether that's obviously in Jesus, but also in ministries, in life. Yeah. You know, there's birth, there's growth, there's death, there's resurrection or renewal. Well, that's the, isn't that just kind of like the <laughs> one of the what maybe Wright would call the climax of the covenant is death, right? right? Well, I mean, he, I Absolutely. guess he would say resurrection. He would, would right. be the climax, but but there's something to Without that. Right? Death, like, there is no resurrection, right? So, in some sense, you know, one of the the key narrative of the Christian life and faith is is surrounded by a person who dies, <laughs> and. And somehow, you know, we're afraid to let things die. Yeah. And I don't mean the churchy, like, the sin die in your life, or the, you know what I mean, whatever. But literally, yeah. like, sometimes ministries die. Absolutely. Or we hold on to things well past the, when we recognize it's not creating, again, it, it might be creating financial success, business success metrics, but it's not yeah. creating spiritual I don't want to use the word success, but spiritual health and growth and right. and it's changing people into the likeness of God. Well, we need to to kill, to to let that thing die so that this other mm -hmm. thing might be able to to happen. And they can happen together and sometimes they can't. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the problem is that we we like you said earlier, you know, one of the worst mistakes that we can make is believe that because something is growing, the spirit must be involved. Mm. Yeah. Right? I mean, yep. I mean, there's whole organizations that are built around helping churches plant that tell you exactly how to do it because right. they know the business success metrics in order, like, this is the kind of marketing you have to do. This is the kind right. of worship that, you know, the, the level, the style, the, you know, whatever. If mm -hmm. you do all these things and plug in a charismatic leader, you're going to have people come to the church. And they're often right. Yeah. No, it works. Right. It absolutely does work. And so I think one of the questions that I wrestle with and, you know, I wrestle with personally and I wrestle with in my dissertation and, uh, you know, we wrestle with as a as a church is, you know, you know, do you want to create create formulas that lead to certain outcomes and be, quote unquote, successful, whatever, however you define that? Or do we want to drill down on formational things that on the outside normally doesn't look like anything's happening? Yeah. You right. know, uh, it's kind of one of those to, to use a, a business term or, or, you know, wherever it came from is, you know, delayed gratification. You know, when I was full-time youth pastor, I used to always thank my volunteers as much as I could uh, because, you know, dealing with people, you normally don't see an instantaneous change. Like right. even when I think about my salvation experience, uh, my coming to Christ, my being saved, uh, I always say, you know, for 18 years, I was, I was just living any way I wanted to, you know, I used to always joke in, in the youth ministry that, if there was a bus going to hell, like I was the bus driver, like I was taking <laughs> as many people as I could with me. And yes, you know, when I said yes to Jesus at 18, in a moment, it felt like everything changed. But it took 18 years for me to get to that point. Yeah. 
And two years later, when I was still struggling with some of the same things and trying to, you know, be this great Christian and, you know, at this Christian university where half the students didn't live like Christians, it was like, you know, like, God, what are you doing? Like, I thought, you know, he's like, well, it took you 18 years to get here. It may take you 18 more to get rid of some of those habits that you've had. Yeah. Even though you're, you know, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, that that was the three prong uh, thing, you know, that everybody kept telling me. Church of God stuff, (laughs) right. You know, I wasn't going to say it, but you did anyway. So, you know, you know, all things that need to be called out sometimes. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, yes, there, there, I believe in the power of God to change you in an instance. But I also know, like, as a human being, there are psychological things that are going to take time for me to deal with for God to put to death. And so I used to always think my youth ministry is like, listen, I know that working with so-and-so may not feel like you're making a change now, but in five years, when they get to this point, if they get to, you know, this area of their life, they may go back to this point to say, wow, if that person believed in me then, and they spoke these things over me, I know I can do this, which leads into Gen Z, right? I think we are dealing with a generation uh, that they they want to deal with the big questions in church, yeah. things that you can't deal with in, in a five-minute sermon, you know, on stage, but it's going to take you walking with them maybe two years, maybe three years through this process of breaking down these big theological questions that honestly, we may not have the answers to. Right, right. <laughs> but walking... And it's better to say I don't have the answer Absolutely, than it is to come up with some platitude that then causes other problems, right? Right, because that's what probably we were given, you know, as millennials, <laughs> yeah. you know, say, right. you know, hey, I have this question about this. Oh, yeah, here's A, B, C, D. If you do that, you're going to get this result. Well, well, isn't that why? I mean, they see what millennials <laughs> have experienced and say, I don't want that. Exactly. Right? Like, I yeah. don't want the same answers that were just given that they didn't like and they just left. So why do I even start? I mean, not to break in here, but I mean, in some sense, we see even more recent reports about church attendance and Gen Z mm. just aren't there. They aren't there. No. I mean, Man, full stop, the, right? One of the scariest research things... Uh, it's scary, but also I see it as opportunity, maybe because I'm a glass full type of guy. But uh, and I believe it's the Pentop Foundation came out with a report that by the year 2050, I believe, uh, somewhere between 20 million upwards to 40 million um, Christian household kids will disaffiliate by 2050. Huh. And I, the, for me, like, cause you know, there's a lot of reports out there about Gen Z, you know, non-Christians, you know, you know, how they're, you know, trying to find um, the spirit or spirituality outside the church, which to me, those things don't shock me because they're, they're not Christian people. Um, But this report really focuses on those that are raised in Christian households will disaffiliate. And I'm like, wow, like, like that woke me up. And um, it says, okay, there's, there's a challenge, but there's also an opportunity. And one of those opportunities I think is 
you know, sitting with, walking with, answering these, you know, questions that we may not have the answer to, but as older human beings, this is why we're trying to live our life out this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about the the church history, and, and I'm by no means an expert in 20th century church history right. and 21st century, but I know the large movements at least, right? And when we, yeah. when we think about some of those movements, you know, we we saw Gen X largely disassociate from the church. Right. Right. But Gen X has kind of come back mm-hmm. in some sense, but they kind of came back with the, with the, um, I don't know the right word to put here, but maybe the cultural shift in the church, right? In some yeah. sense, you know, the the pastor is not wearing a suit anymore; he's wearing jeans and, sure. you know, sipping a cup of coffee and the seeker sensitive movement and these kind of things, and and then the rise of of music like Hillsong United oh, yeah. and and this kind of stuff that that somehow made and and again these words I don't care for very much because it's yeah so loaded with other meaning but relative right like you know the music became re- like oh I I get the feels I get it like you know the right. the pastor is charismatic and 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 while all those actually have their own issues there is mm-hmm. something interesting the fact that that kind of drew a lot of Gen X back to the church yeah and so we see that and 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 you tell me, but I just don't think with this group of Gen Z that a shift in music and preaching style and ecclesial setting is that thing that they're going, I'm done with this. And if I, if you just had music that I liked, I would be there, but you don't. And so I'm not right. going to be there. Right. Yeah. No, they're, they, they won't because, and primarily because even in all of those shifts that, that you mentioned, like there was still some sort of Christian uh, foundation or Christian anchor that, you know, maybe those Gen Xers, right. They, they walked away, but then they started having kids and they're like, Oh, I remember when I was a kid, I had these foundational things. And even though I didn't go to church, I know enough about church, you know, those type of things. And, And even with millennials, but one of the unique things about Gen Z is that they are considered one of, at least in Western American circles, you know, the first post-Christian generation. And so yeah. they have, you know, for lack of better words, no foundation when it comes to anything about Christianity. And so you may change the music, but that doesn't matter to them because they, right. they have right. no affiliation with the music already. You may change the way the church feels inside, but again, like atmosphere is not going to do anything for them because, you know, they don't care because they don't know. And so it's going to take a different set of questions in order, you know, to get different outcomes, which, you know, will help us to lead and love them better Um, and, and hopefully, you know, attract them, you know, because we are good Christian people, not we talk about good Christian things. Yeah. And and this is, you know, I, I always try to like kind of note, this isn't to like poo-poo the church, right? For sure. When we're, when we're saying this, it really is the sobering reality that we've got to come to, to recognize that our models, our ways of thinking are insufficient. But right now they still work with certain populations. For sure. 
And so we don't try to actually change. We're not looking ahead towards, quote unquote, the cliff or maybe the cliff that's already here mm-hmm. in so many ways with Gen Z. Because we don't need to, because our churches can still grow because there's still enough Gen X out there who've got that foundation. I can still pull them in and then I'll get their kids and then my church will grow because I've right. still, I can get right. them in. Um, and and we see that, right? I mean, we see that with a lot of large churches. I mean, back to the McDonaldization of the church, right? Yeah. I mean, most reports show that actually mega church is the way out of church, not into church, right? right. The ones that are the most you know, up to date with their music and preaching styles and how big they are, provide the back door to the church because people soon realize I can get out of this and no one's going to know. And, Mm -hmm. and I get my Sunday back and I can go watch whatever I want to watch. I can have a day off. Right. So it's, it's sobering, but it's not because we, we, uh, live in being excited by that sobering reality it's because if we don't do something about it, then the next generation is just going to be totally, um, I don't, I, again, I don't like the word lost again, cause it's right. way too loaded, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like our churches are, are, are not going to be able to speak to connect with, be a part of and shepherd, uh, and, uh, an entire quote unquote an entire generation. generation. Right? Yeah. And I think the key word you said there is shepherd. And, and yes, I echo everything you say. Like I love the church. I'm part of the church. I'm called to the church. I'm a full-time pastor. Uh, and I have two kids that are in this, you know, age, age group, yeah. right. I, you know, 15 and almost, you know, 13 year old daughter. And, you know, which is, reluctantly why I did my dissertation on that, uh, <laughs> on the age group. I say, I, I say reluctantly because as I was, you know, trying to go through the process of figuring out, Hey, you know, how, how can I narrow down? You know, I knew I was moving out of being, you know, full-time youth pastor, full-time, you know, young adult pastor. Uh, and I it kept feeling this tug, you know, from the spirit. And it's like, you need, this is the age group you need to focus on. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to. And he's like, yeah, but I want you to, you know, it's like one of those things. And now I see why, you know, and, you know, uh, I mean, I'm Pentecostal charismatic to the bone. Uh, We we were talking about some experiences before this, but, you know, one of the great things um, that I think is afforded to, Pentecostals and charismatics is when you look at Gen Z generalized, like they are so into spirituality, so into the supernatural. It's just, you know, outside of the church, they're into tarot cards. They're into, you know, uh, Wicca. They're into things that are supernatural. It's just not, you know, what we would consider the the best supernatural, the Holy Spirit. And so as Charismatic Pentecostals as Christians, like we, we, we obviously have something amazing to offer them, but particularly in the tribes, in the field that I run in, like, you know, they are hungry, they are wanting this. And we just, again, and we got to ask a different set of questions that will hopefully lead us to a different set of outcomes and be the church that is there, like you said, to shepherd them, you know, as they continue to grow and and move into, you know, early adulthood, late adulthood. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a different type of church, I think, for this generation. 
Yeah, and it, and 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 put that maybe in another way, right? Like Gen Z, even if they're not into you know the tarot cards or, or Wicca or whatever kind of expression that may be contra what we would say is good for you as Christians, right? They're they're spiritually agnostic, right? Yes, they're they're not against it, even if they're not like oh, I'm trying to find it. They're all like, yeah, I I believe that that's that. I believe there's something. I believe there's, you know, I I don't just full sale say no everything's mechanistic and everything right. is we could just use science and figure it all out and we're done mm-hmm. like you're saying they're very much open to that in some ways though our answers and again maybe this is that pentecostal in me our verbalized answers mm-hmm. are insufficient for showing or for telling i guess in so many ways um what we mean by this you know natural or supernatural and i like I like Daniel Costello there a bit because he talks about, you know, what the what the work of the Spirit's doing is the most natural. Anything Absolutely. other than the Spirit is actually other than natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've got to do better at in some ways is show, don't tell. Right. Right? And, you know, that's a pretty common phrase for movies or for, <laughs> you know, the entertainment industry. You know, you don't, you know, you know, your best practice isn't to tell someone the plot, but to show right. them the plot, right? To Absolutely. help them experience the plot. And that's really hard in so many of our Pentecostal spaces that either one um, is have become completely normalized, mm-hmm. right? This kind of like term to kind of note, you know, what you and I probably experienced, especially, well, I wouldn't say growing up for you, considering 18, but for me being in the church, but moving into Pentecostal spaces, what was very normal of speaking in tongues happening all around us, healings happening around us, people being laid out, you know, you walk into any, any denominationalized Pentecostal church and chances are you're not seeing any of it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's become quote unquote normalized. Um, Or the answers that we have, the way that we talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, if they do, if they are kind of showing it, the answers yeah. are insufficient for a generation that has more knowledge, more understanding of of the mechanisms of the world, and we just try to use the same platitudes, right? So we've got kind of yeah. this like dual paradigm problem that we're dealing with with, with yeah. trying to express what this being what this being in the supernatural or other than you know the most natural whatever we want to say reality is right like we just yeah. we don't have the language for yeah that. no i agree and that that's this is where i think and the reason like i'm big on theology and leadership right because i think i think the early church fathers i think you know the early church mothers i think that they understood and walked in this understanding that you should be as knowledgeable as you can with whatever the philosophies of the world uh, has to offer. But you should also be so enriched in the spirit and what the word of God says that you you have this verbose language in order to meet people where they are, not where you think they should be, not even where you want to take them, but again, as a, as a paracletic leader, like what is the spirit doing in them at this moment that you can come alongside? And because I think, you know, we all have access to the same internet. 
So, you know, Gen Z can, any any of us can sit there and Google, you know, hey, what does this mean? And think they have an understanding of it. But uh, that's what I call synthetic intelligence. Like, you know, the answer, but, you know, what, how does wisdom play out? Like, yes, you know it, but how do you apply that? What does that mean in your context, right? Because good theology is theology done in context, because, you know, Northern Ohio is different than, you know, South Orlando, you know, the oh, people yeah. are different, the the context is different. So doesn't mean that we twist scriptures and they mean different things, you know, because that's a whole nother issue that <laughs> sure you can talk about and have talked about. But how is God living in this situation with these people at this moment? Because like you said, you know, pat answers aren't going to work anymore. Yeah. And the only way we get around that is more study, more knowledge and recognizing that this isn't just a number, right? You know, this is a person and they're going through personal things. How do we walk with them through those things? Yeah, this this might be um, a bad example, but have you have you uh, played with that whole like this whole chatbot thing now that has... Probably too much. <laughs> oh yeah. See, right. Good. Right. Um, and that's if, the if, other side of me, right? I'm, that's why I'm like over at me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a super nerd. When oh, I me too, to man. Be, right. So yes, you should, you should. The other day I was, I was on the that. computer like doing this and, and Kristen just had heard me like clicking away on the computer. And I was like, Oh, you got to see this. This thing's crazy. And she, you know, 30 minutes later, she's like, are you still asking that thing questions? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, I, ran yeah. out of, I ran out of free credits like in like an hour. I'm like, oh my gosh, what else can it do? What, what, yeah. what can do this? Yeah, I love it. But it's interesting because, I, you know, the the nerdy theologian in me was like, okay, let me ask some questions mm-hmm. about theology, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm my mind's in atonement theories right now so much because I'm teaching a course on it currently. Yeah. Uh, at least that as a part of the course anyways. But mm-hmm. So I just started asking questions like I would ask students. Mm-hmm. And and the reality is it could answer the questions better than my students could, right? <laughs> like if I were asking it questions that have definitions, you know, yeah. what is this or what is that? It could define things with precision and accuracy and within a natural language, you know, that was impressive. Absolutely. But when you start asking it intricate philosophical uh, questions or, or questions that really need some kind of thought process, it immediately fails. Right. right. And, and it has that kind of canned response of I'm just a neural, you know, whatever it says, you know, natural language processor. And I just have this set of data and I just, you know, basically regurgitate it in right. a way that is a natural way of talking, which I think the, the point here is I think that oftentimes the church has done that with our own theological systems with the way that we talk to people. Yeah. Right. We have kind of, we've brought them down to a space where we have simple answers and sometimes we can communicate them well, whether that's, you know, on stage and we can communicate them in charismatic ways that make people feel a certain way or, or experience something. But, the questions leave people with, but, but wait a second. Now, if I take this and this other thing you said, and I try to put them together, something's broken. Right. Right. And oftentimes, our the church's response is the same as that stupid chatbot's response. 
right? Like, no, no, I just have these answer and, and don't ask about this. Just, just right. focus on these two things. Right? right. Or the worst, the worst phrase ever is just, just, you just need Jesus. You don't need theology. And you're like, no, no, right. that's such a bad theology <laughs> to it say is. something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I do think that both uh, to higher levels, millennials and then Gen Z really to a high level are recognizing that we've become this chatbot that just has this one set of data and it regurgitates in one set of way. And they go, well, I just, you're not actually providing the answers to the questions I'm asking. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'll probably, again, I'll give you credit for it the first time I use it. <laughs> oh, <but> thanks. <laughs> I'll take it after that. But yeah, it, it reminds me, me and my pastor just did a, a round table uh, for one of our Tuesday night services. And it was, you know, just questions, kind of similar questions, you know, around Gen Z and for us, you know, the state of the church and where we're going and, you know, some of the vision we have for 2023. And uh, he had asked me a question and I threw one back at him, you know, and I said, you know, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like for us as the church and maybe the church at, at large, we're still living in this, you know, Acts 2 model where 3,000 people going to get saved because, you know, we preach the gospel. Hmm. And what I, in, in the, the second half of that, that I was talking about is that a lot of times we forget that those 3,000 people, I, I say air quotes 3,000, just because, you know, that's the number that's there. Um, you know, they were, they already had foundation for what yeah. Peter was talking about, right? right. This wasn't 3000 random people that have never <laughs> right. heard anything about, you know, God or Judaism or anything like that. This was 3000 Jews that were gathered because, you know, it was Pentecost season, um, and I said, instead of the church thinking that we're still there, it seems like we're more at Paul and Mars yeah. here, like walking yeah. to, Hey, this, this own, this unknown God that you're talking about, like, I know who that is. Let's talk about that. You know? So I think we're, I think we're at least for us in the way that I frame, you know, my position at our church and, and those that I get to talk to is that. You know, this this is where we're at in our leadership, you know, time frame. And as we try to reach, like you said, this generation uh, is that, you know, it's more of explaining and asking questions and being open to them asking us questions. You know, you know, does that mean you have to do that on a Sunday morning? No. Does that mean you have to do right. that, you know, Tuesday night service? No. But I do think in general, as we live as Christians, like we have to, you know, live in a way that, like you said, shows, you know, our faith and invites questions about, you know, why are you being nice to that person? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know? and I love that example. And, and it's probably one of my favorite verses beyond the whole passage mm -hmm. in scripture mainly because this kind of moment where Paul makes the statement, you know, even as one of your poets say, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Mm -hmm. What's so powerful there is we're talking about a poet talking about another God, right? <laughs> like this poet is not talking about uh, Yahweh, not, not reflecting on Jesus. 
literally having this kind of cultic expression right about the way they understood their own faith mm-hmm. and paul goes that guy got it right <laughs> you know what i'm saying right. now his object of the statement may have been incorrect but he got it right when he recognized something and and for me that's where gen z they're going to be and and this is you know in some ways it's it's maybe in some sense especially more inauthentic for me to to think about Gen Z. I've not done studies. I've done some, yeah. especially when I was at my last institution and preparing the way for these. But yeah, like there's so what I say, I say with like a great, you know, asterisk to say like, <laughs> who am I anyways? Right. To say. But it's it seems to me that that the way in which we're going to do, be able to do theology or think about theology for this ne- next generation of n- non-foundationalized people who who have no use of the church like we're going to have to start finding those poets yeah and being able to be as wise as paul and say i i can use the language that you know yeah and the things of spirituality that you're you're attracted to and mm-hmm. I know what I can do with that and re- helping you recognize what we find as the best expression of that in the person of God. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and I think it's true. I, th- I think, I mean, who was it? Martin Luther that took, you know, uh, the rhythm of, of bar songs and turned them into to, to, <laughs> right. to hymns or, or something like that. You know, I'm not a Luther expert or anything like that, but I think it's the same, you know, uh, analogy or you know framework that that you can talk about and it's it's the conversations i have with my kids right it's like hey you know what's going on in your life what's going on at school you know oh well, this happened this happened and you know we we talk about it and i'd say you know uh if you had a you know christian mindset to that like what would change about that you know uh you know prime example and maybe some people won't like this is you know this whole wednesday you know, craze, craze that are, that's happening. You, you know about this? No, the yeah. what? The Net, Netflix show Wednesday. It's a yeah. remake of the Adams Family. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, I mean, I didn't grow up in church. I loved Adams Family growing up. Like I thought it was amazing. Like I've always been into, you know, the, you know, mystical, you know, type things, whether, you know, after being saved, Narnia, Lord of the Rings, like all that stuff. Like, you know, I love superhero movies, like all that but, you know, it, you know, I've watched the show Wednesday, you know, me and my wife, we loved it. You know, there's obviously things in it that's like, yeah, probably wouldn't do that, you know, but, right, uh, you know, our kids have watched it and, you know, all these kids at their school have watched it. I mean, it's like the number one or number two watched Netflix series, billions huh. of streams. And it's like, it's in the culture. And I think for us, you know, our parenting style is, we don't let our kids watch everything. We don't, you know, expose them to everything. But if we do watch something, we watch it together and we'll talk about it. We'll say, hey, you know, those things probably we would reframe them this way. Or how would you reframe them? Do you see anything wrong with this? And I think, again, goes back to what you said earlier. It's like in this fast paced, hyper accelerated world, like slowing down is going to be a major key because it's only in those times that you slow down that you have the time to have conversations that change language, viewpoints, outcomes, 
um, particularly in, in Gen Z. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you and, and I haven't watched this and I was <laughs> never an Adams family, but I probably was an Adams family fan or, or watcher of it because I grew up in a Pentecostal church that that was the devil anyways. So, yep. you know, yep. no, no secular music, no weird <laughs> show. No, I don't, I mean, I can't even tell yeah. you about Power Rangers. I mean, no Power Rangers, no Pokemon, no nothing. Yeah, I I was not allowed to have Pokemon until my parents realized that they could give me it and I could be in the car and be quiet. And they're like, I don't yeah. care, you can have it now. Oh, yeah, this is fine now, yeah. <laughs> the devil can have you as long as you yeah. shut up in the car, right? right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I, th I think you're right. And I do think there is something to the way that the church is going to have to engage with Gen Z that is going to be better than the way it engaged with millennials growing up. Yeah, kind of bridging that gap, which was, don't watch that, don't listen to that. That's all the the devil's going to be in you if you listen to this kind of music and mm -hmm. and and basically, whether we want to use the word sheltering, I just don't necessarily again sheltering is such a loaded word, right? But right, you know, protecting or you know, keeping that exposure away is really kind of the, one of the biggest driving factors for so many millennials in deconstruction. And I don't mean in music and that, but right. But, but in the exploration of ideas and thoughts and other things within the world that they were told, don't look at, don't read, mm -hmm. don't study, don't go there, don't do this. And all of a sudden they're going, wait a second. I see things <laughs> here that are more true to the things that you taught than what I find within the church. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that becomes probably one of our biggest. It's not, I don't even call it hypocrisy. Yeah. Right. As much as I say, when we talk in the church about things like, I'm trying to like find examples that aren't massive minefields, but they're pretty much all minefields. Right. Like, all, yeah. Like uh, politics, I guess, we'll, we'll just, that one feels like actually the safest, which sounds weird. Right. <laughs> but like when, when in the church, Gen Z, and millennials, when they hear this about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you and and watching the language that comes out of your mouth and all this kind of stuff that was kind of like part of the holiness kind yeah. of push, especially in certain circles, and then they see the church following after a leader, full mm. sail, who uses terrible language and yeah. and treats everyone like an enemy and persecutes people and you know, so on and so forth. There's, of course, they're going to go somewhere else. Of course, they're going to say, wait a second, you're saying all these things. And I think those things are true, mm -hmm. right? But the way that you enact those, I find not true. Right. So let me go to where I actually find it in truth. Mm. Um, and, and we've got to be diligent and not just that, but recognizing where we have been very two-faced in the way that we've engaged with the teachings of Jesus and the things that we allow within the church that are the typical things. And I know it sounds weird, but they're the typical things that we allow yeah. in the church. Not, no. the, not the cultures coming to get us and change us, you know, <laughs> oh no, we can't be scared of everything out there. It's right. the things that we attach ourselves to, um, whether it's for power, political power, whatever, whatever, you know, so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I... Man, it's it's just it's where we find ourselves. I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, that was going to be one of my questions, you know, is that, you know, the things that 
we're cut off, not allowed. At some point, even just in human development, right? We question everything. Right. Uh, it's a part of growing up. It's a part of becoming a young adult and an adult. And so when you magnify that with, you know, uh, Christian teachings, especially when they don't line up, it's where you lead to, you know, whole movements of deconstruction, which can be healthy, you know, in some right. respects, because there's some things we need to, you know, get rid of, yes. right? There's some death that needs to happen right. because yeah, we, right. you know, have grown up with, with those things, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, so it's like you either... What I'm finding out is you either, you know, have a good burial or, you know, at some point it's going <laughs> right. to catch up with you anyway. So, yeah. you know, because all things go through, you know, life cycles. And so, um, again, seeing those things as wake up calls or opportunities to say, hey, let's introspect. Let's look at, you know, what is the spirit saying? What is the outcome that the spirit wants to produce? Not just me. Right. Because that's one of the keys for me in, in paracletic leadership is that it starts from the fact that leadership doesn't start with me. It starts with the continued work of the spirit from what Jesus did. Hmm. And all I'm yeah. doing is entering into that story. Right. Yeah. And so my leadership doesn't start with Mario. It starts with the spirit and the spirit uses the giftings that the spirit is working in my life the narrative that I've grown up with, right? Because I have a different story than you. You have right. a different story than me. Um, and, you know, the way that you have grown up, the life experiences you have may speak to certain people in a different way. That's why it's called the body of Christ, you know, yeah. and not just, you know, you know, one leader, but, you know, starting with the understanding that, hey, what is the spirit doing? How can I enter into that both in my life in those who I happen to have influence with or leadership, you know, cachet with, you know, because the spirit is working in me and working in them to create a story and that local community. Um, and when we understand that we can, we can see even these things that we may seem as negative um, as far as deconstruction, but say, okay, how is God working in that? But then, like you said, at the end of the day, if we're following the spirit from the word, then our actions need to match up. And so that we can continue to walk in unity, right? This key theme of yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, and it's not just unity of people. It's unity of uh, talk is uni unity of thought and it's unity of walk. Yeah. And I think one of the best things about kind of that analogy is this entering into the story of what the spirit's already at work and doing within the world, right. which is, you know, I think primarily key to recognize this isn't bound to any individual because mm -hmm. the spirit's already at work. Already we, at work. We are, we are invited into the partnering with the spirit to, to do right. the spirit's work, not our own work. But what's so beautiful about that analogy, I think too, is also the fact that there is no individualism in that work. Right. Right. <laughs> like, and so I think, with that, there has to come a healthy skepticism of self. Mm. Is what my leadership doing, is it because it's what I want, what I think is good, or what I find is going to be a good outcome? Again, maybe butts or bucks versus spiritual formation, right? Yep. And then 
also recognizing there's that's a wide stream of people within that story and narrative and are we opening ourselves up to listening to others who might have something to say especially when we ourselves have gone astray and we right. believe that we're in that stream still but really we're off over there building something and it's growing and we're saying well the spirit must be doing it because it wouldn't be growing if it's not absolutely 100 right? and to kind of give like a practical example right all i could do is give examples from my life what we're doing so at our church and and where it's situated in longwood if you were to just pull the statistics right of the area it's a very affluent area um we're we're near lake mary we're near i always forget how to say it, like aquila lakes area i mean it's 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 a very affluent area where our church is situated yeah and so years ago, we were praying about and, you know, our pastor was like, you know, we really need to get a food pantry up and going like we we need to serve this community. And I'll be honest, like my head was like, that makes no sense. Like <laughs> right. if people around us aren't having trouble getting food. Like look at the cars they drive, look at the houses right down there. Like it's not there. But yeah, we got it up and running and, and I don't know exactly how long it's been running now, maybe five, six, seven years, but it is one of the largest and most serving food pantries in our whole area. Huh. I mean, Saturdays is like a machine that happens there. I mean, there's cars lined up around the block and maybe those people aren't coming directly from across the street, but in Seminole County, it's recognized as one of the best food pantries um, and the organizations that we work with and things like that, because it was a need in the community just wasn't at the top. Because when you look at just the surface level things, it wasn't needed, but there's yeah. starving people, hungry people, um, that are in our community that needed that, that if we hadn't listened to the spirit, you know, it had been something that, yeah, this is something we we don't need to do because look at, look at, look at the surroundings. It's, right. it's not needed, but it really is. And now we're going to next year, take another step and say, okay, yeah, we love providing. We don't require them to come to church. <laughs> we don't, you know, you don't have to sign anything to say you're going to use this for your family. This is a service that we felt like God was calling us to do. You know, I will say, you know, in the car line, you know, people have been prayed for, people have been healed. People have been, you know, you know, come to Christ, like, yeah. you know, all that, all those things, but it's, it's not like you have to do this in order to come to the food pantry. Right. Type thing. Yeah. Um, and so our next step is, all right, how can we provide education that maybe will help some of these people get out of the situation they find themselves in? So it, you know, that's kind of like the next evolution and Hey, yeah, come here. But if you want to Saturdays for an hour, we're going to be doing you know, this is how you fill out a job application, like just yeah. really simple, practical things that yes, is on the internet, but it's always helpful to have somebody walk right. through those things. Right. Yep. So yeah. that's kind of like a practical example of, of what we're trying to do that we heard the spirit say, and, you know, didn't make sense, you know, in the natural, whatever you want to put on that. But God knows, you know, what's right. needed, you know? And so it's like, all right, let's, right. let's try this thing of listening to what God is telling us to do rather yeah. than what we just want to do. Yeah. 
Mario, I love that man, and we we do have to start wrapping up here. So I do yeah. want to I do want to you know ask you: Is there any way people can connect with you, kind of see the work that you're doing, um, ask questions, partner, whatever it might be? Where can people find you, man? Yeah, probably the best way uh, is just on social media, right? So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Uh, probably nobody that listens to this is on Facebook, but I am still on there. Um, no, no, we got but... a lot of Facebook people, man. I promise. <laughs> All right, good. Um, so it's just my name, Mario, uh, hood. You can find me that on, on any of those platforms. I did have a website. I took it down, but I probably restart one here soon. Just cause uh, again, one of my goals for 2023 is, is to do more writing, uh, now that I've had a two year hiatus. <laughs> and so, uh, whenever that comes back up, uh, again, on those social media platforms, I'll have it linked, but yeah, Love to chat, love to to be a resource to to anyone out there. Love connecting with other professors and, and leaders and pastors and moms and dads, just just whatever. I think we we have a great opportunity in front of us. And so the more we can all connect, the better. Amen. Mario, thanks for doing this with me, man. I really appreciate it. And I hope that we'll get to talk again soon. Yeah, man. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.